Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, the Awakening Her podcast. I am so grateful that you have been led to this episode because it is a good one. Today I am sitting down with the Nick Demas. And if you don't know who Nick is, you are going to want to follow him. You're going to want to check him out because he is an incredible soul. Not only is he a Tony Award winner, has been a Broadway producer, danced with the Rockettes on Broadway, you know, no big deal. He's also taught meditation and yoga for over a decade, and now he's a filmmaker, a writer, and always a storyteller. Nick is just such an incredible soul with such a great story, and the part that makes it great is not that it was easy. It's been far from that, and you'll hear him talk about his story, but the part that makes it inspiring is that he's continued to listen to the nudges in his heart. And even when he was afraid and even when he didn't know why, he continued to upgrade and revamp and pivot through his entire life. And I know that by listening to this episode, you're going to take away some strength and some inspiration from Nick because he's got such a great attitude on life. He's got so much to share and he's really been through a lot. He's healed and stepped into who he is more and more as the years go on. So I am so excited to have Nick on the show. I'm honored that he was willing to come and I know you're going to just absolutely love it. So without further ado, let's welcome Nick Demas onto the show. Hey Seeker, welcome to the Awakening Her podcast. I am so grateful that you've been led here and I'm excited for you that you're answering the call to manifest more magic in your life by mastering the law of attraction. So cool. My name is Talia and I'm committed to cutting the fluff and showing you exactly how to manifest more excitement, ease, success, abundance, confidence, love, and anything else you've been craving. So if you're ready to crack the code on manifestation, amplify your intuition and play in the quantum. We are now besties. Let's do this. Hello, Nick. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited that you're here today with us. I am so honored that you asked. It was a surprise and a beautiful one at that. Yeah, I was sharing with Nick a moment ago that he's the first person I've ever reached out to. I heard him on another podcast, actually two other ones, and there was just something about it. I knew I wanted to sit down and hang out and pass on your gold. So I'm really honored that you're here and excited to everything we're going to uncover today. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So can you start by just... um, yeah, just start in, by telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are, what you do, and let's just start there. So I am a storyteller at heart. I uh, tell stories through theater, through film, uh, and I teach storytelling to primarily to soul brand entrepreneurs, uh, everything from yoga teachers and meditation teachers and but, uh, psychics, Akashic records readers, you name it. They, they are drawn to me for some reason to teach them storytelling, which is um, a really beautiful and lovely thing. But my background before all that is in the theater. I started very, very young 
in the theater. By uh, 16 years old, I had my first professional job as a dancer. I moved to New York City at 19. And, you know, interestingly, just no one was going to stop me. Let me say this. Nobody was going to stop me from moving. My parents were mortified that I was, you know, that I was quitting college. I was moving to New York. I was going to be a dancer. What? <laughs> this is not what one does. Uh, but I, nobody could really stop me. And I um, felt a, a big call to move to the Big Apple and tell stories through movement, tell stories as an actor, and uh, which was a beautiful experience. But by the time I was um, 26, I had sort of a, an awakening of sorts. I had been, so you understand a little bit of background, a seeker my entire life. And a lot of trauma, childhood trauma that was trapped in there that I um, would dance at. That was, that was why I was dancing. I was dancing the trauma and not even realizing it at the time. But fast forward to 26, I'm feeling very burnt out already. It's a 10-year career already at 26 years old. My body's hurting. I'm doing a show at the Radio City Music Hall Christmas Spectacular with the Rockettes and they're kicking their heads. And there are some boys, speaking of, of boys, there are some boys in the show and I was one of them. And in the show, I had to jump off a trampoline on the side of the stage and do a Russian jump. You know what that is. It's legs, legs apart and touch your toes and then land on the steel stage five times a day. Not only did I have to do this, I had to do this in a bear costume. I had a bear head on. And I was looking on the floor to try to, to reorient myself. And I was just having a break down slash break through in the middle of the show. And I have this bear head on and I can't see. And tears are rolling down my cheeks on the inside of my bear head on Christmas. And this is Christmas. And I just had a realization that day that I had to change my life. That even though I thought I was a storyteller, even though I thought I was... Uh, supposed to be an actor and a dancer. This was not the life that I wanted to live. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and telling myself that this is not the life you want. So make a change. And that was my first pivot. And there's so many more to tell you about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'm a big, firm believer in listening. And I didn't have the tools at the time. Right, this is before, yes, I was a seeker, a spiritual seeker, and I was reading books, like voraciously reading. But reading isn't doing. Reading is intellectual. I didn't yet have a practice, which is also why I'm a firm believer now in a practice, a spiritual practice. But I knew enough to listen to that, that little voice inside of me that said, uh, this, isn't, this isn't your life. This isn't what you want. And part of it was that I was a bit of a control freak. Going back to the idea of abuse, I wanted to take back power. And, I, and as a dancer, you're told what to do all the time. Stand here, do this, do it like this to perfection. And I felt that I wanted some more control in my life. I wanted to be able to, I was the one that was looking at the lights going, that light isn't really right. Why did they choose that costume? I was bossy, 26 years old. Who did I think I was? And right then, that, that day, this is old school, back you know, when we used to pick up the phone and call each other. 
I called every theater I'd ever worked at and said, hey, I'm directing and choreographing. Just said I was going to do it. And one of the theaters called me back and said, oh my gosh, Nick, we just lost our choreographer. Will you come and choreograph Godspell? Now, the title does not, you know, doesn't surprise me that it was God spell, right? But there was a true like alignment happening there. So a month, so literally a month later, I had my first uh, choreography job, which is really kind of insane. And within one year, I had fully transitioned to being a director choreographer. Uh, natural, easy fit. And I mean, we're talking make a living doing it in one year, which is kind of crazy in retrospect. Now, looking back, I know people that struggle for years and years and years for that career. And it happened instantly because it was truly, as I was saying, in alignment and I was listening. I was Mm. taking the listening path back to the connection of the self. Mm. Wow. I'm just like, I can, I feel like I can just see it all from the tears and, and the feeling. And I think that my listeners can definitely agree and I, or can relate. And I know I can, that feeling of this is not the life I signed up for. And most of us probably weren't on stage with the Rockettes doing that. It was more like ugly crying on the floor in the fetal position, but still very relatable. <laughs> I've had those days too. I've yeah. had them too. Yeah. Yeah. So what did that, how did you know then when you realized that it wasn't working for you, how did you know then that that sort of next step that you felt was right. Like it sounds like such a quick turnaround where so many people have this, like, this isn't working, but they stay in like, well, now what? So how did you know? There was an itch Mm -hmm. that I needed to scratch behind me. And, you know, it's like when you have that itch in the middle of your back and you can't quite reach it, but you know, it's there and you're like trying to reach for it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're leaning against a wall, even you'll do anything to try, try to scratch it. But I was too, I was afraid for like two years to, to scratch that. But there came, it just became a breaking point. So it had been there for a while. I'd also been like assisting people. I'd been in the, the, the dance captain, the assistant to the, the choreographer. I had taken some steps before that. But it really came down to just deciding that I was going to believe in myself. Mm. Yeah, I like that because I do believe that our soul is always calling us. And I'd love to hear what you think of this. And, you know, it was there in retrospect, but in the time when you're maybe head down, I have to be a dancer, or this is what I'm doing. You're just focusing on maybe show to show, opportunity to opportunity, not feeling fulfilled. You don't sense that itch yet, or you don't know enough about what an itch feels like, but later you can look back and. Yeah. Cause I was in survival mode. I was, I was surviving. I was, you know, from the abuse from childhood, I was taking on the role of survivor. And I took it on, not just in terms of the abuse, I took it on in all areas of my life. So just to survive, like you said, it was like gig to gig. I got to get the next dance job. I couldn't have vision Mm. just then. I wasn't yet ready to hold the space. So another part of this is that I had gone to therapy and I was working through some of, some of this in order to, to shift the energy because it was locked inside of my body, inside of me, which is why I was dancing so furiously, trying to the, get it out. 
the energy of the trauma. Yeah. The energy of the trauma was locked in my body. Mm. And, and we all know that there's this mind, body, spirit connection, right? So it's all connected. And I was untangling that trauma, untangling that, um, drama and it played out not only in my personal life and and in my relationships but also in my work wow i want to hear more about locked in my body something about that just gave me the tingles um for myself and for everyone listening can you just talk a little bit more about that yeah so you know there is even scientific evidence about this, but ultimately the idea that we store pain and trauma in various places within our body. And wherever we have either been, you know, not, not, not even necessarily violated, but, but hurt in some form or fashion, we, we hold that and we store it in the cells and in, in, in spaces. Why is there tension in our body? Why is there dis-ease in the body? It's from holding these emotions within us in the chakra system. I see the chakra system behind you, right? Each, each area of the chakra system, we hold um, psychic energy. Mm-hmm. And that is another reason why I'm such a big proponent of a practice. I practice uh, pranayama, which is breath work and meditation, very traditional hatha yoga path, is to pierce through these knots, the trauma, by doing these practices by having a daily spiritual practice, you begin to be able to loosen them. Mm-hmm. And over time, they begin to disintegrate. So when I say pierce the knot, I don't mean like, oh, I mean, it's a, it's a slow process. Therapy, these moda- healing modalities, uh, it could be sound bath, it could be, there's so many options, but doing things on a, day, on a daily practice, on a daily basis, you create this steadiness within the body and the mind and the spirit again, so that you can work through these, these quote unquote issues, our issues, right? You can work through these traumas and these hurts slowly in an effective way. Mm. Yeah, there's so much coming up as you're saying that. When you said it's locked in the area of the body that was hurt or violated, um, that's really, I've never thought about like that. And I've even, I do chakra clearing healing sessions with clients and I'll notice that some of them, it's just all, it feels like hips is where everything is stored and all these storage lockers of, I think they call them Sankopas, right? In Sanskrit and like little storage lockers of really like shame and fear, but then other people, it's all about the heart and it's like the heart is weeping and the, and that's where I feel that all the energy is other people. It's the gut. And some people lately I've been getting a lot of like feet and knees and, and moving forward and this stuck energy and people saying, yeah, I've been having feet foot problems. And, but I never thought, thought about it being correlated with the traumas. So how, even if it's been sexual assault, that may be held in a different place than a broken heart or self-esteem for a different reason or something. And that just makes so much sense. Yeah. And of course, because of our nature, it can be in multiple places, right? As you know, as somebody who, who works with people, but coming to you, help you know those are the thing those are the kinds of things that unlock it 
That's really interesting too, because when you're saying back to your story, mm-hmm. that trauma and you're almost like trying to dance it away without realizing there is also beauty in movement and exercise to move energy and going for walks or runs or breath work, anything to move stagnant energy. It's cool, but it also, there's just like this, there's there's always these nuances to everything, right? And if you're just trying to dance away trauma, it feels like you're trying to physically take care of something that is energetic. But when we're exercising and moving through our feelings and moving energy, there's an energetic component of that. So it's almost interesting. Can you, do you know what I mean by that? And can oh, you- I do know what you mean for sure. Yeah. Because at the same time as I was dancing it out, which was really a cover. Mm-hmm. Yes. In- instinctively, I knew that I needed to get it. Oh, I'm shaking doing this. Get it out of my body. I needed it out. It was and the dance itself was a cover for what was really going on underneath that there was an energy underneath it that I needed to heal. And, you know, yes, dance was a, a way to not only cover, but also work into the body because it helped me understand my body and it helped me understand my, my pain, honestly. But it wasn't until I dug deeper, until I went past the physical layer of the body into the emotional body, the emotional pain, even beyond that, into the spiritual plane, the spiritual level, and the breath level, the energetic level, that I, um, if you're familiar with speaking of Sanskrit with the koshas, that I began to really, um, as I've said, pierce through the traumas. Wow. That's so incredible. So did you realize while you were still dancing that it was a trauma response, a coping strategy, although I'm sure you were good at it and loved it in some part, you didn't realize that till later? Oh, no, no, no. Not until later. Yeah. At the time, I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. I was a dancer. That's what I did. Yeah. And then, then I realized, oh, yes, I could have, I was 26 years old. I could have had another 15 year, you know, I'm supposed people retire around 40 from dance. I could have been there for another 15 years almost. But I realized that the reason why it wasn't resonating for me is that it was a cover. And it took me several years later to realize that. Certainly not. Not at the time. The time it was just like, I need to move on to the next step, which I did. I just didn't know why. It's neat. Thank you for sharing this because I think sometimes people think coping is always um, bad. Sorry. Okay. Better way to say it. People think that coping strategies are like drinking, drugs, over shopping, over, you know, sex, whatever it is. But we can have these coping strategies that the rest of the world stands back and goes, wow, this person's really fucking successful. Look at them go. Whereas inside you're dying. That was my drug. Yeah, exactly. My drug was success, which, you know, that left me, you know, I said, as I said, I, a year later, here I was having this success. And two years after that, I'm now not, it's not even 30 yet. I'm still in my 20s. I'm at a theater in Oklahoma City directing a show there. And they fire the, the producer of the theater while I'm there. And the president of the board comes to me and says, would you be willing to take over the theater for a year while we do a national search? Because we really liked your shows. You've, you've done the best shows that we've had here in years. I'm 28 years old and here it is another turning point. And I didn't even hesitate. It was yes. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about this, and this is sort of um, 
in sort of a quantum manifestation sort of way. Two years before, I had been there and I, I was leaving. And out of my mouth, I said, who did I think I was, right? At 25, I was 25, 26 years old, that first year out of 26, that first year out of Radio City. This was one of the theaters I worked at. I was saying goodbye to the accompanist plays the piano and she said oh I hope to see you again I said you will I'll be back to run the theater someday wow (laughs) and three years later I was wow did you feel that did you it wasn't just a cute thing you said like you really felt honestly I felt something within me Mm. I just sort of knew that that there was going to be some some form of significance here I you know I didn't think it would be that literal because usually isn't that that literal, but I, I sensed it. I felt it and I expressed it. I put it out there into the universe, you know, and then here it was, it happened. And so then I spent uh, eight years there at the theater, growing the theater from a um, little less than a million dollar a year business to a multi, multi multi-million dollar business. We went from about six employees full time to 45. Um, and a new, brand new theater and children's academy. And it really grew in my time there, but I was still seeking. I wasn't, you know, I was still searching outside of myself. There was validation. I was, you know, I got the governor's award and this award and that award. And, you know, I, I was still outside of myself looking and I went to, um, a yoga teacher training. Speaking of yoga, there's that, that thread here through this, right? in New York, took a month off. I was feeling very restless in about year eight. Very, very restless. There's something inside of me that said, this is not your destination. You're not serving the world in the way in which you want to now. Because again, there was something still unhealed. So I went to yoga teacher training and I'm in a meditation. And as I'm meditating, I hear... It's a download. I hear, you don't need to take a month off. You need to quit your job. And I was like, wait, what? Huh? No, what? No, no. I, I, have, a, I have a steady job in the theater that, you know, that pays every week <laughs> and has health benefits. No, no. Yeah, who has that in the theater? <laughs> yeah, nobody. I can't do this. What do you mean quit? But uh, I knew it was true. I knew it was true and I knew it was time. And that was, that was, that was hard because I was successful. I was in a small community and, you know, Oklahoma city is like a million people, but in the States, it's a fairly small community. Right. And I was known there. I went to a restaurant that would give me things for free. You know, I was a little mini celebrity in that town on television, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But I knew I had to make the shift. So I went back and I gave them a year notice for them and for me. I needed a year and they needed a year to find somebody because it takes about a year's search. But in that last year, I uh, reconnected with an old friend, somebody that I had known years and years before. And she had married into a very wealthy family and wanted back in the theater. And I took her to lunch and we were just chatting and I didn't take her to lunch about that. I was just telling her what was going on in my life. And I said, but I'm thinking about producing. I said, you know, for Broadway. And she said to me, "Um, well, 
what, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? I was like, well, you know, I need to raise money and da, da, da. And I started to explain about how you develop shows. And she said, wow, that sounds great. I'm in. And I said, wait, what? <laughs> this wasn't a pitch. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I didn't plan a pitch here. <laughs> there was no end game. And um, that day she wrote me a check for a half a million dollars to start the company. So that was a, you know, it was a, a good entry for me into that world. So that final year of being in Oklahoma, I was also producing a show in the West End in London and um, working on developing a show in New York. And I went back between all three for a year. Wow. Yeah. And then finally, I left Oklahoma and I was back in New York full time, which was an interesting transition back. One year later, the show that I produced, I was on the producing team of uh, Won the Tony. So that also happened incredibly fast. Um, Again, it was just being in the right path alignment and taking risk and chance. Um, And again, in that quantum way, years before I was in a hotel, I remember this so specifically, in Wichita, Kansas, of all places. And I was sitting with friends and um, we were having drinks around a table and people were talking like, what are their dreams? What are their ambitions? What do they expect from their lives? And I said, I'm going to win a Tony. And everyone, wow. stopped. everyone stopped. Remember this? Cause they, and they're, they're so shocked. I said, what, what? And everyone's like, Oh, we believe it. Mm. And there it was. But the interesting thing about that, and here's another big turning point for you is I was on the stage on the way to the stage, they announced the winner. It was Bernadette Peters. She announced the winner of the, the Tony and everyone stood up in the audience and they were smiling and happy and thrilled and excited. And there is this beautiful CBS still, uh, CBS network still of my face. Like they caught it. I have this picture and there's no joy in my face. Mm. None. And I remember the moment really specifically because in my mind, in that moment, what I remember thinking was, I'm not happy. I'm not sad. I'm relieved. I'm relieved that my investors are going to make their money back. I'm relieved our show is going to be a hit. And I'm, a, and I'm relieved this moment is here, all that I've worked up for. And then as I'm walking to the stage, I was having a sort of out-of-body experience where I was going, this is it. This is it. This is how this is supposed to feel. This doesn't feel like this is supposed to feel. This is what this moment is. Now what? I'm not even 40. Now what? Isn't that just unreal how our brains want, they think that we think that there's this end game. And when I get there, right, that endless thing, and I'm just so present to your story and how many people if I won a Tony, oh man, that I would die a happy person. Meanwhile, you're not even 40 going, I'm not happy or deeply fulfilled. And also like, this can't be it. And I just, I'm so present in my own life to the times when I get the thing or the experience I think I'm going for. 
And something that always sticks out in my mind is this time that I manifested $44,000. It's a whole other story, but I had the most amount of money I've ever had in my bank account. I got this money. I'm like, oh my goodness, to my husband, this is crazy. Holy shit. It was this whole big magical thing. And the next day I had the shittiest day. My kids are overwhelming and I'm feeling bad about my body and I'm worried about this and this client. And I had this moment of but I have money in my account. That's what I've always been saying was stressing me out. Like, Talia, what's going on here? And it was, it's, I, I think of that all the time when I start getting stressed about this thing that's going to save me that I don't have. And I think, remember that time you had a fresh 44 grand dropped into your bank account and you felt bad about your body or you had an overwhelming day or you were worried about your career? Like, and that just, that's what I hear in your story is like, we have these external goals that we think are going to fulfill us, but in this time when everyone's celebrating and excited, you're not. You're yeah. not because it doesn't touch your soul for what, like whatever it, reason, you know. It, it really wasn't. It wasn't what I thought it would be, and that's really when the real work began for me. It's like, yeah. oh crap! I'm still alone with myself in here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still here. Oh gosh. And I'm, and, and that little Nick inside of me, the little Nick is still miserable. Yeah. And all of this trauma and all of this seeking and all, it was just all so much that it, it, that me trying to be something rather than me just being. Because mm. you're trying to be a producer, a Tony Award winner, and you're doing it. You're doing it. rocking it. But inside, that's not who you are. Right. <laughs> you're not the being. You're just doing, right? Yeah. So I, in this, I would love to also just kind of hear your take on something I experience a lot in the community and when I'm working with clients about like following those nudges, right? And we're talking about following that desire, knowing that you needed to move on, knowing you need to do this and that. So there's a really interesting thing that happens where we get this divine inspiration and, and, you know, we're like, I think that's a sign or yeah, I need to do this. I have to do this. And for you and your story, you pivoted and then depending on what chunk of your story, sometimes less than a year later, two years later, you're called to pivot again. Yeah. And people then go, oh, I guess this wasn't it. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm guided here. And then two years later, I'm told to pivot again. So that must not have been it. I do. And for me, it actually is, it is it. Because mm -hmm. it is that journey. Without one step, the other could not have happened. Without the lesson, there could not be the new opportunity. Mm, yeah. And so I never think of anything as a mistake. It was a, it was a road that I, that I took. Mm. I'm driving in the car of life. And sometimes you take a back road and then you end up back on the highway. The GPS of the straight line, that might've been a wreck. Mm. I might've been a wreck, but instead I went the back road and then came back around to the new road. Yeah. And also to get from here to there, if we're going to pretend time is linear, just for the sake of this human conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, if we're getting, if I'm going from Vancouver Island to where you are in San Francisco, I also have to go through Vancouver, through Blaine, through Seattle, through Portland, through, do you know what I mean? So it, I think that this is so great. And this is a, a really cool angle of the thought is, and I, 
I feel like I've spent a lot of time thinking, this is a sign, this is it. But when I realized that it is just always a stepping stone, like there it is, instead of going there it is, it's like there it is, the next step. (laughs) So all of these things were divinely guided, but it wasn't that that was it. And you're divinely guided somewhere and then at 27, you just get to chill the rest of the time. Right. Because you do have to go through those cities, right? To get wherever it is you're going. And I don't even know if there's actually an end. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that, it sort of comes like to the idea of, well, what is enlightenment? Right. What does that look like? Right. People want to take sort of the, 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 the fast track to an enlightenment. It's a way of being on the path, not a destination point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like, hey, I'm enlightened. (laughs) Everyone, you know, (laughs) line up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's so incredible. So after the Tony Mm -hmm. and you were so unfulfilled, in the days even, I'm just so interested. I don't know why, but so interested in even the days following the Tony. Did you have kind of like the low after the high or this sort of like, who am I then? You said that's when the work really began. So what was that like? Yeah, that was a big period of questioning. And those were some of those days when you say you're in the fetal position. You know, I had some hard days after that because I should have, quote unquote, should have been on this electric high. And I was watching people around me that were so happy and so elated and so in their truth. And I felt like I was embarrassed because I couldn't even express it around most people because people didn't want to hear, oh, you're so miserable. You just want a Tony. Mm. Nobody wanted to hear that. Now, my therapist, but nobody else cared, right? They didn't want to hear that because that's not sort of, speaking of stories, that's not the Cinderella. The Cinderella story is that she gets the prince and marries. That was supposed to be my Cinderella, Mm. right? And it didn't feel like a happy ending to me. So I had to really like just sit in that uncomfortability, like really sit in it. And as we know, none of us like to sit in uncomfortability. We try everything in the world to get out of that. I'm super good at bolting, by the way. Yeah. That's my (laughs) go-to. I'm out of here. (laughs) And mine is to wallow. Mm. And it's to wallow in self-pity. And so I wallowed in self-pity until a, a good friend of mine basically was like, you're wallowing, you know, like snap out of it and do something. And, you know, I really dug into the practices and I went and studied with a teacher, even lived with them for some time and um, spent some time getting to know myself outside of the doing had you already done the yogurt te- yogurt teacher training? <laughs> Let's try that again. Had you already done the yoga teacher training at that point? Oh yeah, that, 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 I had done that first training, but this was another level or layer of training, a more advanced training. And um, but I but and I have been teaching. So during this whole time, I also while while you know producing a Tony winning show, was teaching yoga on the side as my sort of. At the time, what I thought it was like my give back to the world, quote unquote. But what I realized was that was for me. Mm-hmm. That was my sort of healing. And I really then dug in 
as I said, and to some some classical uh, practice and, ha- and had a daily sadhana, daily practice, and really got to know myself, ask myself questions outside of doing. You know, I had to lay in the back of a, of a class for almost a year and not do anything. My teacher made me do. Mm. Go, go, go into a class and not actually take the class and lay in the back. What? You know, I was the kind of person who was the, you know, doing the arm stands and, you know, I was upside down on my head and, you know, and, you know, that was my jam. So to, to slow down, to listen, to breathe. And through that, I began to explore my other parts of my artist self and my business self. I uh, directed a film that was about Alzheimer's. I began to direct documentaries. I realized that through all of this stuff that I had been through, through the traumas, through the successes, through all of it, I had a lot that I could offer and share with people, that I could help them. And I knew that that was really the next step for me. And I didn't know what it was going to look like whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I just knew that that was the next step. So do you think that yoga helped you with that? Because as you're speaking, when you said you were thinking at first, it's like you're giving back. And and what I heard is Source was calling you. Source was like, come back to your mat. Sure, do the physical practice, give back, all these, all these things. But this is for you. It's like a humbling, yeah. a, a, a finding, a something. It, it was a humbling. Mm-hmm. That's the best way of putting it. I used to think of myself as a peacock. And a peacock opens its feathers and can be really nasty. Mm. Or a peacock can bend over and be beautiful and wave in the wind. Mm. And I really (laughs) needed that humbling for a lack of better. I was, you know, part of success is in order to be that successful, there is a certain amount of ego that's required. But then to to truly be a quote-unquote success, I say quote-unquote a lot, don't I? To be a quote-unquote success is to be humble. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And yoga is such an incredible practice for that. And your journey um, just with yoga that little bit is similar to mine where I was doing it physically for a lot of years. It called me for a long time and I'd sit there and I was all, I um, more than a decade ago, I had an eating disorder. And so I was over-exercising and yoga was calling me, but I was sitting there and going like, this is not hard. What am I even, this isn't going to help me get super buff or lose weight or whatever. And I just resisted, resisted the, it just bothered me. Even the challenging stuff, it, I don't know. It just, it wasn't enough for me. And when I started really deeply healing, it called me back. And it was like, this is what I've been doing all this time. I had been doing it, but I hadn't been being it. And it took years for all of a sudden the spiritual side, um, you know, not just the beautiful things the teachers were saying that really, you know, I would feel peaceful and yeah, really inspired, but then I'd leave and that was it. And it took a bunch of years for it to really get in like a spiritual practice. Yeah. yeah. It takes time to assimilate off the map. Mm, yeah. And we oftentimes talk about, we work from the gross to the subtle, mm. right? that it came physically, it comes to most of us first physically, partly because in the West, that's how it's introduced, mm-hmm. right? But also, uh, 
that's where we're drawn. And even yoga in its form was a, the, 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 the postures were created for kids, for young boys, because at the time it was boys, for young boys to get rid of excess energy so they could sit and meditate. Wow. Which we don't really recognize anymore that that's why it was created, which is why it's animals, why the poses are named after animals. Mm. Mm. So even then, it was about that. So it's a, again, it's the shaking off, whether it's your trauma, because we all have traumas. I don't mean that it doesn't have to be big physical traumas. They don't have to be little things, little hurts, little energy that we, that we hold. A lot of it, when you're younger, is about getting rid of that excess energy. So it's not surprising to me that you came to it later and said, oh, I, I, I feel this, I sense this, I understand this in a different way. Mm-hmm. I think something, yeah, it really shifted and I started noticing the gratitude for being on my mat, the love for my body, the, you know, sometimes just bawling in Shavasana. Whereas before I'd be like, what are we even doing here? <laughs> like such an energy difference of just being in it and appreciating it and being in the doing and the non-doing and really loving it all instead of how many calories am I burning here? Like that's just, yeah. um, it was so such a shift. The word asana, which is the physical postures, means seat. Right, so you're sitting in uncomfortability, and you're twisting. You're literally wringing your body out. Mm-hmm. So, and you're putting yourself in positions that are uncomfortable. Speaking of, of being uncomfortable, and so it's not surprising that when you released that, going back to that mind body spirit connection, you were having an emotional release on the mat as well. Yeah, that has definitely happened more than a whole bunch of times <laughs> where I've been on my mat and emotion just comes yeah. to the surface. And it's so beautiful when you can just allow it. Um, if you're in a safe space and you just can allow that to come forward, because there is something about wringing out your body and bending and it, it, yeah, it's such a beautiful thing that does conjure up a release if you allow it to, and you're ready for it. Yeah. 110%. And that's ultimately what the practice of, of yoga is about. It's the science of self-realization, the study of the self and allowing yourself to go through these emotions, feeling them, releasing them and moving forward. Yeah. So I want to hear, I definitely want to hear what happened next because that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm fully involved in your story now. <laughs> um, so you were doing, you kind of went into documentaries and was that just kind of a period of expressing yourself creative, um, creatively so that you could kind of find yourself just sort of on the journey or did you feel really passionate all of a sudden about documentaries and filmmaking? I, I think it was a journey to the self, to the yeah. artist but I also felt passionately about telling stories. Mm. And this was a different modality, a different way, a different, a new, uh, I'm, and I'm also somebody who's always a student. So consequently it was like, well, I know how to do theater. I got that trophy. I call it the bowling trophy. I got the bowling trophy, now what? And I knew that I wanted to explore some, a different way of storytelling and something I didn't know anything about. And so I dove in head first. I just decided to do it. Uh, the hard knocks life way too. Like I just did it. Just like, okay, I'm going to do a doc. Why not? 
um, oh, interesting. It's a slightly different way of telling stories. Uh, but you only learn by doing, right, mm-hmm. in that sense. So I, um, so I jumped in, and it was a period and is a period because I'm still a documentary filmmaker. Of um, I wanted to tell stories that um, could educate, inspire, could help people in the world. And I felt that documentary was a really good fit for that. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you can't with, with a narrative, with scripts, but I had done that for 20 years, mm-hmm. 25 years. So I knew that I wanted to try something new in a new way. And so that's sort of how that happened. And then that led me to moving to the West Coast with my partner. And I was getting all these requests to, from people to coach them, to give them a meditation, to teach them. And so, so I thought, oh, okay, there's some, when you're being asked, you're being called, it's time to listen. And so I started an online business. And so I work with people from all over the world uh, on their storytelling primarily, because I'm a storyteller, obviously. Um, but also uh, I work with people, mind, body, spirit. So really, I, uh, we dig into their, their internal stories so they can tell their external story. And when you, tell, when you learn what your internal stories are and, and you can navigate them and you can share them in the world, you can affect change and you can help other people. Mm. If you're in your own drama of your story, it's really hard to tell it in a way that's effective that people will listen. If I were still in my story that we, that I just told you, and I was still in all the trauma and the drama, you probably wouldn't be as interested Mm. because the transformation hadn't yet happened. Mm. And so when you can uncover and unlock those stories, you can fully express yourself and you can inspire others to then do it. So it's a healing of the planet ultimately, but one person at a time, one story at a time. Mm-hmm. And I have a vision of the ripple effect, I call it, you know, that, that Mother Teresa talks about this, throwing the rock in the water and it ripples out, right? And I think of the same way with the, the story. There's 108 million stories out there to be told. That's, mm-hmm. my, that's my, my hope that I can affect 108 million stories. Wow. So what's the difference between an internal story and an external story? What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is our internal stories are the, the things that we tell ourselves about ourselves that may or may not be true. Mm. I am this. I'm not good at this. I Correct. am good at this. I, yeah. Okay. And an external story is sharing a story, like let's say the Radio City story with the bear head. That's an external story. I had to overcome the internal story in order to tell the external story effectively. Bam. Yes. I feel that. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a different story on the inside and on the outside. And exactly like you said, if you're unhealed with that internal story, that external story can't maybe have the power. I don't know if that's the right word, but the impact, the the power, the, you know, I, people don't want, people don't want to hear your therapy, mm. except, except for the therapist you're paying. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because that just makes them very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I don't mean in the sense of, we, we, we did that for a while, honestly. If you look at like Donahue, Oprah Winfrey, like mm-hmm. there was a time, there was a time when that was really needed because, mm-hmm. the, because we used to not tell our stories. But now we live in a time, I'm holding up my iPhone, that everyone tells every moment of their entire life. Like their quinoa salad for lunch. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we're at a place of oversharing at times yeah. now. And if you really want to be a thought leader, if you really want to be impactful, if you really want to change people's lives, do the inner work mm-hmm. and be the beacon of light through your story. Mm. Oh, I just love that. So if somebody wasn't an entrepreneur, but they were just really resonating with this and they wanted to uncover deeper layers. Is there anything we can do just at home, maybe with our journal to start uncovering and owning our story? Well, I love that you mentioned journal because that's, that's exactly how to uncover your story. Right. And I call it flow writing. And in the morning, sit down and you just free write. It doesn't even have to be the morning. I like morning and I'll tell you why. I like morning because my mind is fresh. I'm fresh and I'm more likely to do it. The longer the day goes, it's like any practice. The longer the day goes, the more excuses I make for myself. And then I convince myself I don't really need to do it. And at the end of the day, it's like, oh, well, I'll start again tomorrow. Right? So doing it in that morning time, but just flow writing where you sit down and you write free association. You don't write with any intention even. The intention, the intention is just to write. And what happens is it, it opens space in the system for you to get out the gunk, to get it out, all the feelings and all the crap. And then what happens is you begin to see the truth underneath it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you begin to notice patterning. And then you're able to shift patterns because of that awareness. It's like, it's really like a meditation. It's yeah. a written meditation. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're not actually saying, sit down and write your story. No. So it's like owning who you, like owning your story comes back to owning who you are, which comes back to getting comfortable with what's going on <laughs> inside yeah. your mind and your life. You know, I teach a lot about what structure is for, of storytelling. I can give you the structure. But anyone can hand you a structure and you can write the most generic thing in the entire world with that structure. Mm-hmm. But if you want to write something, if you want to tell your story, if you want to own your story, it's got to come from you. Yeah. It's got to come from truth. And truth is accessed through these processes that we've been talking about on this entire episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing the work, you know? <laughs> Or what I like to call the play. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Doing the play. Because it it is not as heavy as it as it sounds. Yes, it has heavy, heavy moments. Yes, you've got to be willing to dig in. Yes, you've got to be willing to do quote unquote the work, but allow it to be fun, allow it to be playful, allow it to come to it with a place and space of curiosity. Mm. Be curious about yourself. And then and then there's a different sort of Oh, I have to do my practice. Mm. Oh, I have to. I get to. I'm mm. gonna. It's gonna mm. be fun. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be an experience. I'm gonna learn something today about myself or about the external world. 
Yeah, I love that because the work is it like who wants to go to work? <laughs> right. You know, even my job, I like my my business, I don't call work because I love it. Like this right yeah. now is way different than when I was in my nine to five or when I was working at whatever fast food chain when I was 16. Like it's this is soul fulfilling. Yeah. And so is uncovering yourself. It's it's funny you say that because just a couple days ago, I was going through my website and I started taking out the word work. When we work together, work with me. I would like, I work with seeker. And I started getting creative with other words because work, 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 work. Like who wants to hire someone to work? <laughs> well, the interesting thing about this is that when I tell my students, okay, we're going to do nine minutes a day of creative play, they freak out. People freak out by the by, by play. We've been taught that it's good to work. Mm. That that's good. Work equals good. Work equals money. Work equals success. Hard work, even more so. Mm. So when you take away work from people, they're like, I don't know how to play. I don't know how to play. We'll go watch some kids. Yeah. Little kids just dream and they and they they enjoy it and they play. And I, you know, I'm doing a lot of reels right now. You know, on Instagram reels, you know, and I'm, they're my play, they're my jam, they're my like creative outlet right now. And I realized that like you, it's like, how can I bring more play into my everyday work and my life rather than there? I even said it, my everyday work. How can I bring it into my life mm. in all areas? It's a really great question. Yeah. And it it's, I love how you're saying that and just bringing that forward. And I know there's recovering perfectionists, really hard workers, people listening that are on the outside accomplished or have big dreams or whatever on the outside. But it sounds like in your story, when you stopped working is when your, I won't even say transformation began because of course it began long ago, but some really deep inside shifts is actually when you stopped working so hard at who you're trying to be. Yeah. People used to say to me, surrender. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let go. And I was always like, F you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, had no idea. I had no idea what they meant. I had no idea what they meant. Now yeah. I do. Right. Now I do. And it's like you said, when I let go, when I began to play, when I stopped doing so much. I saw a meme or a little, it was like a single comic strip and it had, it was drawn. It had all these monks sitting around and the head monk or whatever said like, just let go. And, and all these bubbles were up going, well, how do I let go? Let go for how long? Let go of what? I don't think I'm doing it right. Am I supposed to let go like that guy let go? And I just laughed so hard. Let go of what? For how long? Cause that's, what do you mean let go? Right. And, and I have so much compassion for that because when we're in that space of the ego, not just like possessions and whatever people think the ego is, but the, also the drive, the, the really hard work, not that there's anything wrong with hard work, but when it comes just from working for work's sake, there's this, I can't let go. I've everything I've built in my life is based on my hard work. I'm a hard worker. And it's like, yeah, okay, we get it. We hear you, you are. But can you just be? Like I picture you sitting at the back of the, the class while everyone else is doing handstands and it's like, I'm just supposed to lay here because that's the work in quotes you actually needed. Mm -hmm. 
was not more handstands because yeah, we get it. You're you're great at that. Cool strength, bro. But can you just be? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So if there's people listening that really relate to that, that go, go, go and really accomplished and they're wanting to bring more being into their day, um, in addition to the free writing and spending that time, you know, I, I see a lot of people that can't meditate, feel like, you know, they're trying to be a monk in this modern day. They're trying to clear all their thoughts. And that that's something that feels challenging. Um, how do we just learn to be, learn to be still with ourselves? Is there any sort of ways that you so help us with that? I learned to breathe. Mm. Because I, too, at the time, was like, there is no way I can sit still and watch my thoughts. I have 500,000 thoughts in one second. Forget it. There's no way I can do this. And what I learned was that by breathing, by taking deep, full breaths, what we call pranayama, I was able to have an active, active participation in the process. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll actually give you, um, uh, I have a, a video. It's a very beginning level video for people that are just wanting to learn a little bit about how to breathe, how to do a short practice that you can do every morning that connects you with yourself through the breath. It's called the powerful threes, inhaling for three counts, pausing for three counts and exhaling for three counts. Very simple and incredibly powerful. And it's a gateway to meditation. The practice of pranayama, of breath work, is the precursor to a meditative state Because meditation is not a sit. Meditation is a way of being. Mm -hmm. And so we have this falsity that I'm supposed to get rid of my thoughts. I thought this too. I got got to get rid of all my thoughts. I'm not supposed to to sit still and get rid of all my thoughts. That's actually not meditation. And that will never happen. You're never going to get rid of all your thoughts. It's about embracing and noticing and, and listening and taking it back to the self. And so the practice of pranayama helps you relax and come to a state that you can listen. Mm. So I will, um, I'll, I'll send that to you so you can, you can link it out to your folks. Yeah, I'll put that, look for that in the show notes. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. I definitely want to check that out because I, I feel like I'm in both sides of this where I, I have felt and do feel the power of breath. And I also have felt the frustration of feeling like I'm doing it wrong. I can't sit here or I'm starting to think about the chili I'm cooking or I'm starting to, you know, whatever it is and and your mind. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 clear the mind because I'm not doing it right. And um, one thing I, I have been doing for the last maybe year or so that I found has really worked with meditation is connecting to breath, starting by counting my breaths in my mind, just very gently, just like one two and whatever, you know, and then I love to tune into my physical senses. Uh, So I will cycle through And this is if I have a really active mind and feeling like I can't sit still or whatever, I'll just start 
paying attention to what I can hear in the room and really gently float from thing to thing, slowing it down. And then I'll go my smell or my touch. You know, I can feel the hair on my shoulders. I can feel my sweater. I can feel where my bum meets the floor or whatever it is. And just, and then I find pretty soon it kind of all disappears. And then I'm there, wherever you want to say that I'm in this chill state. And that's really helped me too. And I just love giving our minds something to attach to while we, you know, practice and get comfortable with being still. Yeah. And that is, that is why for me, the breath has been so helpful. It's everything that you're talking about. Mm, That's so beautiful. I just heard my son's toys playing in the background. Um, (laughs) So I would like to ask you about anything that you want to share with us about connecting to your highest truth and following those nudges? Because I really do think that nudges, they don't always present themselves the same, right? Intuition, it's a, it can be a knowing, a hearing, a sensing, a feeling, signs, synchronicities. You could have a big download. Your grandpa could visit you in the night and give you a message. Like it can come from so many different ways. So how does the person that's just sort of on this awakening journey, learning more and more, how do we know what's a nudge and what's not a nudge or what's our ego or what's fear speaking? Yeah. So if it feels fearful, it likely is not true. Mm. You can start there. Also, for me, it's a quiet thing versus my, my other voices are very loud and obnoxious. And the inner knowing is softer and quiet. And that is why I, I so recommend the practice of sitting. And it is a practice because some days, like we were saying, it's like, oh, raging. Those voices are raging around my head. And in other days, I clear enough that the channel is open to hear that voice because it's a listening path. The listening, when you tune in and you listen and you hear that, that little nudge, that little, what we call the Atman, the size of a thumbprint at the center of your being. Mm. When, when you hear that, you just know. You just know that it's true. Mm. Yeah, I feel you on that one. It's interesting with the fear piece because in my own journey and what I see in clients and observe in people is often there is some fear with an up level because you're going into new territory. So when I get invited to speak on stage or I, you know, I'm writing my book or whatever, right? Or people contemplating leaving their job or, you know, going on Tinder to find a soulmate, like they might be deeply called to do this thing, but are voice does come in and go, you, you can't do that. Or you, what if you blow the whole talk and you're laughed at? Cause that's our survival. So the inspiration is source led. Mm-hmm. The fear will generally, I think I would almost be as confident to say is like the fear is always going to pop up, especially when you're expanding. Like it screams at you sometimes. Sometimes my physical body doesn't want to let me do something that I know mm-hmm. I need to bust through this and do it. So what do you have to say about that? I would love to hear just you know, that. (laughs) Well, I'm in it right now. 
I'm in that space right now because I feel I, I know that I'm about to up-level again. I know that I'm, I, have, I have this inspiration to create um, done with you documentaries, documentaries for you and your business. And, and I'm, but I'm in this space where I'm then like contracting and fearful, right? Like I had this idea, I started to put it out there and then I got scared and I backed way away. So it's natural, right? But then I keep asking myself, what is this fear? What is it that I am scared of? What's the worst thing that can possibly happen? And what's the best possible thing that can happen? And I begin to, I, you can even see my, you, out there you can't see because you're listening, right? But my hands are all tight and clenched. And I'm all, yeah, I've got my arms up by my side. Speaking of the physicality, the physical, how can I soften it? How can I relax into it? And if I'm this fearful of it, it's for me. Mm. Because that means that I'm expanding my soul. Mm. Yeah. So fear is a good thing. Fear is so good. And we forget how good fear is. If we allow, if we allow ourselves to wallow, speaking of my wallowing, then we let it overtake us. But if we let it be a driving force, it's an opportunity for huge growth. Mm. So lean in into that uncomfortable again. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And it almost sounds like what is the initial spark? Is the initial spark driven by fear or is the initial spark driven by the nudge? Because either way, the fear is going to come. That is so good. Yeah. Because there's people that are kind of like, you know, maybe a relationship is getting serious and they, you know, just want to bolt because, you know, this is too good and I'm going to mess it up or whatever. But so the initial spark to like leave is fear is I'm going to get hurt. I better leave first or whatever. It's just the example that comes up. But the initial spark may be, but what if this is the one? And what if it's magical? And then the fear comes in. But what if you get hurt? I don't know if I'm even, that's the perfect you are. example for you are, it. But you, are, you are completely making sense to me. Yeah. So it's like, what is the initial spark? Is that a, a protection and a FU world and a fearful thing? Or is it like this idea, like your idea you're talking about, like, imagine if I pulled this off or I created it, that would be so cool. But then the fear comes in to be like, ah, they're all going to laugh at you yeah. or whatever your version of that totally. is. Totally. Or I'm not going to succeed at this, mm-hmm. you know, because I have this vision right now of, and this is the first one I'm talking about it publicly, of these done with you documentaries that are eventually going to go on a network. I'm wanting a network mm. that, that tells stories of the human spirit and has talk shows. You'd be perfect to have a talk show on the network, you know? And there's a part of me that's like, okay, now I put that out there. Ooh! Mm. But Did that, you, that, that there, spark originally was truth. It wasn't fear-based. Mm. And it was creative. It was like, you know what would be cool or yeah. you know what would be powerful or you know what would use my strengths and talents and my experience for good. That would be so neat. And then the fear comes in. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's so powerful. 
Um, because I do think a lot of people struggle with that, especially when they first start learning about the ego and then they're like, well, what's the ego and what's this? And it's, it's still conceptual. It's still like, I don't want to get this wrong. Right. But when you really tune in, was it inspired or was it out of fear? And I mean, typically I have to ask myself, was it me as in me, my ego, or was it source? Because mm. source is truth. Right. Always. Highest good of all, right? Right. And because that idea, like you said, it was creative, which is what? create Creative, what, what does that mean? What does creative mean? It means creation. What is creation? The spark of life. Mm. Amen. (laughs) I always say that like inspired is in spirit. When you're inspired, when you're painting or working with clay or creating something and you're inspired, it's because that creativity is source flowing through you in fun and colorful ways, right? And what is that? Inspire means to inhale. Mm. And what you do with it is the exhale, going back to the breath. Mm. So I have had this inspiration of the network through source. So what I do with it now is the exhale. And going back to the idea sort of of quantum manifestation, believing it. Being it. Being it before I'm already it. I'm it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you said that you have this idea, the new idea. And then you did a, like a little, like, I want to get it out there. And then I'm like, right. Did you get that with the other times of, yeah, I'll see you back when I'm running this place and Hey, I'm a producer now. Or, you know, when they say, do you want to do this? And you're like, yep, I'm in. Did you all, did you get that a version of that? I had a a version of some sort every time. Mm. Now I will say this, the older I get, the bigger they are. (laughs) Mm, Interesting. Interesting. Part of that is because I know more. (laughs) You're like, shit, it's coming. I know it. (laughs) Here it's coming. Here's the wave. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to just highlight is that we can be inspired and then we say it. And there is, I can, I so feel you on that. This like, oh, oh God, now I, now it's out there, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to say it to yourself, maybe even write it down. But when you start telling other people, even like I've got this idea, it's so vulnerable and scary. And because at that point, all you have is source and inspiration and the rest of the world is going, but how are you going to do that? But you know how much money, but you know, it's in a, the economy is not good for that right now. So, but all you, all you've got is inspiration, which you know is the most powerful thing, but to the external world, it's like, what you're doing, what? Inspiration and vision. Mm. Right. And the how is not my responsibility. Mm. Yes. I need to, do things to make the make it happen but how what door is going to open for me who knows this mm-hmm. may lead to another idea again no oh, failure well. yeah no <laughs> this failure. isn't the last idea i hate to break it to you <laughs> <laughs> it's not your last barf barf worthy adventure <laughs> <laughs> and with my track record you know i've got another however many years there's going to be quite a few more yeah you're probably like yeah, you've got at least 10 more pivots going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I, I always say, not only do I do a pivot, I do a pivot with the kickball change and some jazz hands. <laughs> Perfect. I can see it. I can see it. That is so, oh man, there's just so much in here. There's so many angles and just beautiful examples of how this experience works. And when you become a seeker, well, we're all seekers, but you know, when you choose this path, when you come here for this experience and you're obviously here to make a difference in the world, to find your voice, your heart, your soul, it's a very expansive lifetime for you, obviously. Um, it's scary and it's filled with so much unknown because exactly like you said, the how isn't your job, but a good portion of the world, that concept, they don't even understand. So a lot of our parents, friends, even partners for some people, we're becoming someone that they don't even recognize, that they can't quite make sense of. You're, you're doing what to quit your job? Like, why would you ever you know, at the point where you're at the Christmas show with the Rockettes, like how could, why would you ever leave that? Like, you know, and, and the world doesn't get that. So it sometimes can be challenging for us seekers to just go on our faith and go in our inspiration and go on this path that the rest of the world's going, well, that's not secure, you know, how are you going to do this? And we just have to keep following those nudges. Yeah, I certainly have had looks like, what are you doing? I've had people flat out say, are you crazy? Uh, and yet, when you're really listening to that little voice, that heart voice, that Atman, that center of truth, that, at the, at, that nudge, when you're really listening, you know that actually staying on the old path would be more difficult. There's so many people right now that their heart is exploding hearing that. It's such a truth button. And I think of that quote that said, um, I think it's Ananas Nin, I think that's how you say it. But um, one day the risk to stay in a bud was more than the risk to open. Uh, okay. And I, it's like the, the staying small becomes way more suffocating than just freaking going for it <laughs> and hiring the person or doing the silent retreat or do whatever it is that for you is this big uncomfortable leap. The risk to not do it becomes so gross inside almost like suffocating feeling like an itchy sweater um, that you kind of get to a point where you got to just go for it. And you do. Mm. And you do. Yeah. Oh, I just love this. So before we wrap up, I would love to ask you about purpose because a lot of people, and I think in the world, it's one of those topics that gets really trendy and we think that we have one purpose. So hearing your story, I mean, I could give my view on purpose, but it's actually like, so which one was your purpose, right? Was your purpose to do this? Was your purpose to do that? I would love to hear your take on, first of all, like our purpose, but also when we're following the nudges, are we in purpose or is a purpose something we find? Are you now in your purpose and before you weren't in your purpose? Like, I would love to just hear that. I have had multiple purposes, but my purpose is actually very simple. And it's the same purpose that's your purpose and that's anybody that's listening. The purpose 
is to be. Mm. It's to be you in your fullest, at the highest potentiality of who you are. That's actually your purpose. It's not what you do or don't do. It's about showing up in the world 100% as you. Hmm. So it's just to be. Yeah. And you can do that no matter what you're doing as a job. Because let me tell you, I've had high, high highs in my life. Obviously, we talked about some of them today and low, low lows. We talked about some of those today. And was I not in my purpose when they were happening? Yeah. I was. So when people are saying they feel like they're not in their purpose, looking at it like it's something that's going to like knock on their door like a UPS delivery or something, you know, oh, hey, I, my purpose came today, guys. It's <laughs> awesome. I had the tracking. Yeah. I didn't think it would come till next week. I love Amazon Prime. It just showed up, you know. Not <laughs> in my purpose. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Done. Check. <laughs> Fulfilled for the rest of my life. I think what people are really talking about is that they feel out of alignment. Mm. They feel disconnected from themselves. They feel disconnected from others. They feel disconnected from source. Mm. Which is where tuning in, listening to the nudges, the, the writing, the breath work, because you get into alignment with, I like to say the story inside that source is telling or the buzz, the current, the flow. And so in that moment, you click in to that being, to that purpose. Yet your job didn't change <laughs> in that moment, right? It wasn't that that was what had you discover your purpose or be in that. It was taking a moment to just be. Yeah, we've been sold on this idea of, like you were saying, the gift at the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. That when I get X, Y, or Z, I will have found my purpose. But in The Wizard of Oz, she had it all along. Mm. And so do you. Yeah. And so it's, that's a great example because so did the lion and the tin man and the scarecrow, even though they were all seeking something. Mm-hmm. That's, so, um, that's so beautiful. So when you're seeking your purpose, you're seeking alignment. And I'd love to also say that as you make an intention to visit alignment more often, whatever method you use and and start to really be, um, you will also find fulfilling creative ways to express yourself, to serve others, to make income, whatever it is that you think your purpose is, you'll find that too. But that's not because being a coach or whatever was your purpose. It was the alignment that had to happen first. I couldn't agree more. Do you think, what about the serving others aspect of it? Do you feel that we can um, experience beautiful alignment in service to others? Like, I mean, I know we can, but do you think that that's a good place for people to find a way that they can, whether it's making income or whatever else, like look at how you can serve others? The reason that it's powerful is it gets you out of you. Hmm. Gets you out of the mind stuff. Get you out of the ego. 
If you don't know what to do, go serve. Mm. Yeah. And that's beautiful because it's not just about making money or having a business. You can go, you know, give your time, be there for a friend, help them out, give a hug to a homeless guy, whatever, right? Whatever that is. It can be through your business, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be. Mm -hmm. I see that often where people feel like, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm just in this job doing just this thing. And it's like, you can bring your purpose into that job. We've all had those, you know, cashiers at the grocery store or bank tellers or gas station person who is just filled with life. And we're like, I don't know what that guy's on, but he, this is. I'll have some of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like that person made my day. Yeah. And it wasn't about the job they were doing. And and that goes back to that ripple and Mm. the hundred and eight million stories told that person affected your day shifted something in you so that then you could go back and be a different person with your kids Mm -hmm. and so on and so on and so on and so on yeah oh this is so incredible um thank you so much for being willing to share your light and being willing to physically come on the show, but also just to be here and have this conversation and be so present and just willing to share. I, um, I'm so appreciative of this. It's been such a soul fulfilling conversation. <laughs> I love this conversation. You're a fantastic host, by the way, because I've been on quite, as you were saying, I've been on a, a few podcasts, several podcasts, and you're a fantastic host. So oh, thank your, you. Your audience is um, very fortunate. Oh, thank you so much. I do have, well, I have a question that I'm going to be the last question, but I have a pre-last question. So really I have two (laughs) questions. Um, I was really inspired. I heard this when you were speaking earlier. I don't know why I need to ask you, what would you say to your 20 something year old self that was dancing his trauma away in that moment before the play, the work began, what would you say to him now? Yeah. Wow. That's a really good question. Uh, You know, I think that I would say to him, laugh more, enjoy it more. It's not as heavy and as hard as you think it is. Stop smoking. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You know, he was a smoker. It was was this many years ago. (laughs) Eat better. Uh, You know, that's a really interesting question, and I have never thought of it. So I I just gave you sort of what was at the top of my brain. But I think really lighten up. Enlightenment is lightening Mm. yourself up. Mm. So lighten up. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah, I don't, it's not like the question I ask people. I've never asked somebody that in an interview. I just heard it when you were speaking. I'm like, that needs needs to be said. So yeah, I also hear like, it's so funny because I didn't even know you at that time, but I'm like, little Nick, I've got all these words of wisdom, (laughs) but I just hear like ground down to rise up. Oh, you know know why that's really interesting? It's because the last client that I had you're just intuitively hitting on that. That's everything that we were talking about. Mm. Mm. 
Love it. Yeah. Because you were rising. Oh, yeah. But you weren't grounding, which is the same with me and everyone else. It's not at you. It's... Yeah, I think, you know, particularly those of us that are creative, that are sensitive, that we, we hear about enlightenment being rising upward. But for those of us that are already super sensitive, that are super creative, that it's actually the reverse. Mm. It's, yeah. a down, it's a downward. Mm. The energy is the opposite. Yeah. I talk about blocks and I have um, a guide and something that I go through with people. And I have one block that I talk about called the spiritual go-getter. And it's when it's like all the mantras, all the affirmations, all the things, all the boxes ticked, all the stuff, but we're missing the slowing down, the breathing. It's like, we just want to do more. And that is kind of, it feels like that's a little bit of that too, is, is like, I'm doing all the things. It's like, but what you really need is, grounding, grounding in the energetic sense when we talk about the ions and the grounding of, of the magnetic charge or the electromagnetic charge, but also being still, sitting yeah. at the back of the class, laying down when everyone else yeah. is doing it, you know, and writing and connecting and, to breath. And that might be something else I would have said to him now that you say that, is be willing to sit in the uncomfortability because on the, outs- on the other side of that, is everything that you actually have been searching for. Mm. And it's amazing because he found it. He, he found that truth, you know? He did discover it. Well, and the, the truth of the matter is, if anybody had told me anything at that age, I would have been like, F off. I'm not interested in what you have to say. Of course. <laughs> of course, right? I got to find it the hard way myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I have at least another decade of turmoil to go through before I can even <laughs> welcome that in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so, yeah. so good. I'm interested too, just for you, I feel like that's, you're going to be thinking about that, what I would give to him and what I would say to him. So it'll be interesting to see what comes up for you too in the following hours and days. Um, okay, real last question. Thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, thank you, Source. I just, just heard it. Um, okay, so what do you think is the most important aspect or what comes up when I talk about manifesting and creating change. What, from your perspective, do you think is the most important thing to focus on when wanting to create long-lasting change and manifest a different life or more joy? Yeah. Connection. Mm. Connect with the self. Belief in the self. And already being it before it's there because it's already there it's already there you are it so when you step forward and do it and you show up like really show up and you already believe it to be true it's true It's like there's no other option. It just will be so. It will be so. Yeah. And there's an interesting thing about manifestation that I think about a lot in that 
you know, I could maybe want to be a Olympic gymnast. I could really, really want it. But in this particular lifetime, that's likely not going to happen for me. But if I believe, like I could believe all I want, it's gonna, that I'm going to be a gymnast. It's probably not going to happen. But if you can't believe that something's possible for you, it definitely won't happen. Mm. So there's this strange space, right, that we get into. It can be confusing to us about what's really for us and what's not for us. And we get lost sometimes in that. Hold to your faith. Hold to the truth that you know and be open to the door that's behind you because it may be a better one than the mm-hmm. one that you've been trying so hard and it's stuck. Mm. Manifestation doesn't necessarily look like what you think it's going to look like is basically what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It may look different and it may be something that's so much more powerful than you could ever have imagined. This or something better. There you go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why we say that. This or something better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that our desires, it, you know, it's pretty bold for us to think we've got it figured out, like any of us, to think <laughs> we actually have this life and how it works and the universe all figured out. So sometimes your desires are not your end game. Like I desire to say I really sold on writing a book and a New York Times bestseller. That may happen, but also who I become in the process of writing that book, Mm -hmm. the conversations I have, who I discover myself to be as I'm locked in my office for months on end, committed to writing, what comes out, like all that stuff is for me too. It's not just once I write the book, then I've fulfilled this vision. It's like we have these desires, like you said, it's going to pan out different than you thought because I may be nudged to write this book and I'm knee deep in it. And all of a sudden I realize it's supposed to be a different book. It's got a, it, you know, it, it's all of a sudden turning. So you have to be open or maybe it's a screenplay, you know, like it, it but you might've been correctly, sort of correctly. Um, we're doing a lot of quotes today, so I'm going to jump on, um, <laughs> inspired to write a book because source knew that that's what it would take to lead you to the place of whatever is next. Lesson or opportunity. Mm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the manifestation comes in the form of a lesson. Mm -hmm. And other times it comes in the form of opportunity. Mm. That's beautiful. I've never thought about it in that way. Sometimes we pray so hard for... I want my next level of abundance or something. And then we're confronted with lack and we're confronted with insecurities and confronted with scarcity. And and it's like, there you go. That's what you need to continue on your abundance journey or whatever, right? So sometimes it's a physical manifestation and sometimes it's a lesson or an assignment I like to call them yeah it's <laughs> optional almost, it's almost like the, the universe's uh sense of humor the test right we every hero if we talk about a journey story every hero has the test mm. and sometimes yeah. we're given a test mm. that's so beautiful I love that 
Ah, yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much for everything today. And where can people find you? Because I know they're going to want to check you out and follow along, maybe see these reels we we hear about. (laughs) I've heard so much about these reels. (laughs) So um, on Instagram and uh, Facebook, I am at the Nick Demas, T-H-E, the, the Nick Demas, because Nick Demas was already taken. Uh, I know. That got, can't you pay him off or something? I tried, but are you ready for this? It, a man bought it for his unborn child. You're like, but I've been born. I'm, I'm here. But I'm here. I'm ready to occupy. <laughs> and that's also my, my website then is also the nickdemas.com. So Great. I will put everything in the show notes along with the breathwork video that you mentioned. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to pass that on because I do believe in the power of practices. And I would love to talk about that with you at some point too. Maybe you'd consider a part two because I feel like you have so much to offer about the power of practices and connecting to that inner nudge. Um, Yeah. So thank you for everything today. I know there's so much here. My audience is going to absolutely love. So make sure to check out Nick's stuff and stock them online and check out those reels. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me again, a great conversation. And uh, of course, I'd love to come back and chat anytime. Awesome. Thank you. Hey love, I hope today's episode resonated deep with you. If you loved what you heard today, let me know on Facebook or Instagram at Talia Joy Manifestation. I love seeing the screenshots of you guys listening to the show as well as your big takeaways. For real, come hang out. I am so excited to expand my tribe and connect with you always. So until the next episode, sending you so much love and light. You are rocking it. You're exactly what the world needs. <laughs>